Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to The Captain's Collective, where we are working to sit down with different captains and leaders in the fishing industry. And in each episode, we get a chance to hear from someone new, learn about their story, their approach to business and fishing, and also pull out lots of great tips and information. On today's episode, I sit down with Lionel James of Lion Tail Adventures and Kaylee Lavach, who works in social media and marketing. Lionel and Kaylee are located in Destin, Florida, and in this episode, we get to hear Lionel's story, which involves running around the world and a quick run in the MMA world, how Lionel and Kaylee are building their business together. We talk about marketing, social media, and we get to hear about Lionel's approach to what he calls fun first fishing. There's also a great section in here I found helpful in the podcast about how to avoid other people's negativity and place your energy in what really matters. I hope that you guys enjoyed. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. Uh, he, 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 tried right. he tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. He got him. He's on. Uh, two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time flips, the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. Anytime, he says, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. We really appreciate you making some time and coming out here. Could you just give us a little bit of the background of how you got into fishing and then also how you guys met together and run things today? Okay. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's actually a really humbling feeling. Like the guys that you've had on here before me are, are some of the like greats, greats in the business. So I never actually thought I would be on a list of guys like that. So um, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, um, of course. Fishing wise, man, it's it's kind of like everybody else, but a little bit different. I mean, I grew up doing it, um, but first and foremost, I was born in the Philippines. My dad was in the military. Um, shortly after that, we moved. My dad moved to Melbourne, Florida, which she was stationed at Patrick Air Force Base, um, and that's where my dad took me fishing for the first time. We ended up catching this, a small catfish, and I have this really cool picture of me and my dad. I'm standing right next to him with a catfish. Um, and that's where it started. Um, but shortly after we got to Melbourne, my parents went through a really, really bad divorce. I was about six or seven when they started going through the divorce. And at that time, we were living off base. And if you walked about six blocks, there was just like, there was a gas station on this side, a stop sign in front of it. And then on each side of the road, there was just like a little water runoff that held brim and like sea turtles. or not sea turtles, but um, snapping turtles and stuff like that. Yeah. So when my parents, um, like I said, it was a really ugly divorce, and I'll be totally truthful about that. Uh, when they would get into like these arguments, I would take my sister, and me and her would grab a loaf of bread, and we'd go to this little water runoff, and we'd stay there the whole time until my dad and my mom come and got us, and I would just catch brim with a cane pole over and over and over. How old was that? I want to say I was about six or seven. and I so Yeah, six or seven, and my, my sister was four or five. Um, and that's where I started to, to like learn that I could do this on my own. Um, shortly after that, my dad got full custody of me and my sister. Now, this is like the late 80s, 88, 89. So my dad was uh, 
black father with two kids. Um, so he's very, how you say, he's very broke at the time. So mm-hmm. he started taking on odd jobs. You know, so I didn't really get to spend much time with my dad. So for us to go fishing, he would pull me out of school on like a Monday or Tuesday. And that's where I got my quality time with my dad. He would take us to the beach and we'd go catch nerf sharks. In Melbourne, we'd go to Cape Canaveral and fish um, for redfish. And then we'd go over the Piney to Causeway and go under that. And we'd fish there for, and that's how I got my time with my dad. And on Sundays too. Sundays, the morning was mine with him. The afternoon was my sister's. And then we would have family dinner together. Um, and so, and every other weekend, I would have to, I won't say I have to, but we went to stay with my mom. And my mom had her own like cleaning business. So in Melbourne, she would clean a lot of these houses in Suntree. And Suntree was on a golf course. And I would take my pole and I would go bass fishing. Had no idea what I was doing, but I would catch these bass next to all these little gators and all that stuff. And that's where I would start to get my independence. Shortly after that, I want to say I was probably 13. My dad moved to Destin. He got another assignment. And we weren't in Destin a very long time. We were there for about three years. Um, but living on base, it's kind of the same situation. You know, it's, it's pretty safe. And we didn't have the worries about what people have today. You know, you can send your kid outside and not worry about it. Um, so after school, I would, we were on base or on base housing. I would go to this place called Ben's Lake. Um, and I would just fish, man. I didn't, I didn't really care about sports at the time. I didn't really care about what was cool. That was my outlet of, you know, my parents are still going through it. I'm moving. Is that That's middle what, school and high school? I think I got there right around fifth grade. It's, it's hard for me to remember the time frame because between first and fifth grade, my dad was TDY so much that I was either in this school or in that school. I would go to... I would go back and forth between Pensacola and Melbourne. Pensacola for six months, Melbourne for two months. Pensacola because my dad was obviously his active duty um, and he was gone a lot. Um, so when we got to Destin, it kind of came, uh, he was a little bit more secure as far as like we weren't going to move for a while, uh, but he was still still really busy. You know, we still try to go fishing in the lake or, um, but, I, but I understood it. I understand it now more than ever because a single dad or a single parent period trying to support two kids is very, very expensive. Yeah. Um, so after school, instead of playing football or baseball, I would take my stuff. It's a funny story. I would take my stuff and I'd walk down the street and I would just fish until the sun went down and I'd come back home. My dad would never worry about it, pack my stuff, get ready for the next day, go to school, do the same thing over and over again. But as a boy, I was, most of us were in trouble a lot. I, I wasn't really great at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did get whoopings back then, but my dad finally figured out that, I mean, you could, you could whoop me. Like, that's fine. I'll take the whooping. Just don't make me stay inside. Don't ground me. Like, if you took fishing <laughs> away from me, I was, that was the worst punishment you could ever have for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we stayed at Eglin for about three years. My dad, and I, that was the early 90s, so he had the Gulf War. Uh, so he's back and forth from that. And he finally just got to a point where he asked for one last assignment. Um, that he wouldn't have to leave anymore. Cause I mean, my dad missed, I don't know how many Christmases, Thanksgivings and all that stuff, you know, the sacrifice of being a military parent. Um, so around 12, he got one more assignment and that assignment was to Anchorage, Alaska. Hmm. So that's why I call Anchorage, Alaska home. I finished middle school, my last year of elementary, I think middle school and high school, college, so on and so forth there. Um, so he got his assignment in November. Now imagine being 11 years old and driving, going from beaches of Florida, driving 
all the way up to Alaska, like the change that you had, you know what I mean? And you guys drove up there like yeah. a big road trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, 14 days of me, my sister, my godfather, and my dad. Um, and going for in November, it was still 60 degrees here. I mean, you know how winters in Florida are. Yeah. And then each each state just got colder and colder. And you got to see snow. And I never knew what a moose was until I got to Canada. And we saw one, like, with his tongue out out of the back of a trunk because it was hunting season for him. So <laughs> um, we got to Alaska. And then I guess my parents' separation kind of built my independence because when we got to Alaska, I didn't really need to make friends. It was, it was a hard situation to make friends because I got there right at Thanksgiving. So I was in school for two days, and then we were on Thanksgiving break. Hmm. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody to talk to. Um, so on base, a military base is, is really set up for families to get comfortable really quickly. They understand how the process is and how hard it is. Uh, so I went to the outdoor rec center. Uh, my dad took me there, and you couldn't go fishing unless it was ice fishing. So once I got to Alaska, I just I started ice fishing. Once the snow melted, I started to um, start fly fishing. It was huge there. You had grayling, rainbow trout, salmon, all that stuff. But the dangers of fishing by yourself in Alaska is there's moose that are like five thousand pounds. There's bears all over the place, and there's wolves. It's it's it's. So you're constantly fishing. And everything's frozen. Yeah, 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 yeah. For uh, for like nine months out of the year, it's pretty, it's pretty cold. But that's where a lot of it came into play. That's where I really started to like gain my own identity in fishing and what I like to do. Uh, then I went after uh, after in, in high school. I'll tell you a funny story about high school. So high school is where I I became really athletic. My uh, the summer before my freshman year, I was getting ready to start my freshman year. Uh, I figured out what football was. Um, and in, in Anchorage or in Alaska, you, when you played ball, when you played football, it started out really early. And the benefits of starting football really early was that it was a football team, it was a volleyball team, and it was a cheerleading team that was at the school first. So mm-hmm. I interested. I was a teenager now. I wanted to play sports and be around girls. Um but long story short is that I would always come into the preseason very, very out of shape because I felt as a teenager, I just spent nine months, eight months in school. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to spend my summer weightlifting weights. Like I didn't see, it. I needed two weeks to get in shape and then I was fine. So every, every football season, I came into football like completely out of shape and my coaches hated it because I was really a natural athlete. Like, What position was, did you play? I played quarterback. Oh, wow. okay. I play quarterback and um, I got a scholarship to play wide receiver, but they just hated me. So I end up because and this is back where only your closest friends knew what you did for the summer. You know, mm-hmm. you told everybody what you did for the summer after you got back. But the reason why I came back out of shape is because one, I didn't feel like it took me two weeks to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I wasn't going to spend my whole summer lifting weights and then miss an entire fishing season in Alaska because essentially you only have two months. You have June and July, and that's about it. Um, not That's not about it. But you have June and July where you don't have to worry about snow, mm-hmm. right? May, the snow is still kind of melting. It's getting warmer. August, the, the leaves are changing. There's snow on top of the mountain. So at that point, you're like, you know, I only got a couple more weeks until yeah. it snows and everything's over. And now you're waiting for 911 to go fishing again. So um, that's where really fishing started with me. It really was a base of my, my dad, you know, fishing mm-hmm. my dad. And then he was really busy, and I understand that. So... I just did it on my own, you know. Mm-hmm. So sounds like it. It started as like an escape. As, it as, was. As a it way was. To, it was. It was. As a way to relax and 
sort of have some you time. And how did you you two meet? Who, Kaylee and I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell a story? Uh, the, the girls always tell the story better, and I've learned from personal experience, I'm about to be in my fifth year of marriage, that uh, any time that you can refer the meeting story to the girl, it's always going to be better. Okay, right? okay, we'll so do that. I think we'll you just that. did the right thing there. I don't know. That's a free Is that tip. that a rule? I didn't even know that. No. Um, we met a year and a half ago when he found me online through mutual friends and kind of looked around to make sure that I was single and then asked me if I wanted to do a business meeting mm. to talk marketing. And those so DMs, right? I <laughs> slid right in. It slid right in. Somebody needed that, <laughs> right? that right there. Somebody needed that tip. Right? Yeah. Well, she's, 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 she's a marketer. That's what that's her background is. That's what she's doing. And I was really looking for... Um, a cute girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was really looking for somebody to take over answering my phone and taking care of my website and all that stuff where I could just focus on because I was losing a lot of customers. So I found her through, like, she had a mutual fan. I was like, well, damn, she's kind of cute. Let me holler. <laughs> all right. And uh, I set up a lunch um, meeting, and we, and we did talk about it, but then I probably stalked her for, like. Yeah, but for me, that business meeting was all business. I didn't even, dating wasn't even on my radar at that point. So it's, re <laughs> it's really funny because he texted me nonstop after that, and I kept thinking, who is this guy? Like, he's not, why won't he leave me alone? <laughs> and then yeah. persistence paid off. And after a few weeks of talking, I let him take me on our first date. Oh, that's a great story though. Right. And you were both in Destin at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you grow up in Destin or? No, I'm originally from Nebraska. Okay. But I did grow up, um, fishing with my dad and my grandpa. So, you know, as young as I can remember, I had a fishing pool too, except in Nebraska, it was bluegill in a lake and it was, <laughs> Three fishing poles lined up, and I would reel it in. My dad would take it off. I'd run to the next one, reel it in. My dad would take it off and rebate it. I'd run to the next one. So Lionel kind of does the same thing for me. <laughs> yeah, that's great, though. And I love, you know, we'll include in the show notes you guys' kind of account. Um, but I love that you guys have fun fishing together. And Absolutely. You don't Absolutely. see that. I don't see that as much, you know, kind of out. A lot of people tend to kind of separate their relationship and their fishing like how have you guys done that over the past year just kind of trying to incorporate your relationship but also what you do on the water um I want her to be part of everything that I do it's flat out um so the fact that she loves to be outdoors and even when she gets on the boat and it's sunny like she doesn't necessarily have to be fishing you know she just wants to be one we want to be together uh and two she just wants to be outside so it helps um but this funny story is that when she goes fishing she puts this tremendous amount of pressure on me right mm. right she said well i say well babe um what do you want to catch today and she was like well shit i want to i'm sorry she, all right she wants to say oh i want to catch something big like i, I only want to go after big fish i'm like well I don't, that's not how it works, but let's, let's go. Do sharks count? No. no. Oh, he's hooked me up to a shark before and then he told no. me I asked for it. So no. it's I, I saw the other day on Lionel's account, somebody was reeling in a shark and oh. you were like, Hey, you asked for it. You yeah. asked for yeah. it. Yeah. 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 But I didn't know if that counted cause that, that's a little less pressure. That's like tuna or big amberjacks or, and yeah. those, but those are my favorite. Yeah. Like redfish. Big, big uh, black we, drum. Yeah. Well, we, we do a lot of sight fishing for redfish. That's, that's, um, that's the the main thing that we both like to do because obviously we see it, we see the fish, we t you know we hunt it down, she hooks it, and I get to watch her, you know. Yeah, and it's neat. And we'll talk about that in a little bit about how you guys kind of work and manage the business together. That's a pretty common thing that a lot of guides, as a couple, they they work together to support the business and right, to give right. each other kind of 
a, a helping hand, but how did you get into the guiding part? Because you were in Alaska, you fell in love with fishing, and then where did you go from there that kind of led okay. you to being in Destin? So after Alaska, I got a, a football scholarship to a small D, D2 school in Minnesota. Um, the day, the same thing happened. You know, I, I would come back. These guys were paying for me to go to school, but I would come back in the summertime out of shape. So I was going home and I was fishing. I was like, um, so I ended up dropping out of college and joining the Air Force. But the way that worked is I dropped out six months before my 21st birthday. So when I went home back to Alaska... It was January, January, February, and my dad told me, listen, you got six months before your 21st birthday. That means you got six months of free rent, and then you're out of my house. Um, so I ended up joining the Air Force, and um, I traveled. Um, my first base was in Texas. Then I went to California, and then from California, I went to South Korea. But in each one of these transitions of my life, I was still fishing a lot. I was still in Texas trying to catch a bass, in California trying to catch sharks and tuna. Like, I was still doing charters because um, my fishing will never – the fishing, the aspect of it, the love of it is always there. And I felt that the more that I fish with different people, the more that I fish different places, the more experience that I have to rely on later in life as far as, like, if this happens or if this happens, well, I'll do it like this guy and this guy. Um, then I went to South Korea, and South Korea was a really eye-opener for me um, because it's a crazy fish market there. But what I did most of the time was every weekend or every other weekend, I would go spend the weekend with a family that wasn't very, I wasn't very wealthy. Um, and we would just sit there and have conversation. Um, and they would take me around the town and you would, to the local fish markets and all that stuff. So I got a different experience in there. And that was in 06 and I stayed there till 07. And then in 07, I got stationed back in Panama City. Panama City... I started noticing a lot of people doing the skinny water redfish stuff. And so I started fishing some more off of piers and all that stuff. But at the same time, I, I, I had got into uh, fighting MMA. Um, and to kind of go backwards a little bit, while I was in Korea, I was also boxing. Um, so when I got back, I was looking for that competitive edge to, like, still I – wa I still wanted to fight. You know what I mean? I still – I got into it really good, um, but I still wanted to fish. So it was a kind of a tie – so what I did is I kind of put fishing on the back burner and I made it a a Sunday thing for me after my training was for me to restart the week. While I was fighting, I was I was I had this little plastic boat, it had a 12 volt battery with a trolling motor. So on my days off of from the gym, I would take it and I would put it in these little bayous and I would learn the area. And this was this was like a, a plan of mine because I always knew that I wanted to quit and start my own business. But right now I was taking the chance of making it into the UFC. And I was really, really close, and I, I tore him up a teleattendant, and that kind of, like, made me realize that, hey, fishing is probably, need to, you know, it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. I tore him up a teleattendant in, in 2014, I think, mm -hmm. 2014, 2015. And when I did that, I didn't miss fighting. I didn't miss the aches of the gym. I didn't miss the eight, mo the eight weeks of training for a $1,000 fight. You know what I mean? Um I miss fishing. So I was like, well, I'm going to heal. And that's when I started my Instagram account. I'm going to heal and I'm going to start learning, like just researching businesses and entrepreneurship and the market here and what the market's missing here and what's, what's, what's popular in Destin and what's working for Destin charters and what's, what's working for Miami charters, what's working for Tampa charters. I mean, I put a lot of work into just mm. researching and see what's working and what's not working and how can I build an avenue there. 
So I guess the chartering really started for me hurting my knee in 2000, 2014, 15, um, and saying, hey, I needed to do, I need to do something else. I need to have a backup plan, you mm -hmm. know? Um, man, because I was really good. I was, I was on the road um, before I hurt my, actually was hurting my, I hurt my knee for, I was training for a title fight, and it was crazy. I didn't even hurt my knee actually in the gym. I trained it. I heard it running on a Monday, coming, you know, slowing down. My, you know, teletendon snapped, ACL snapped, and it was really a non-contact injury. Um, so that's that's really how the the chartering started. I took this idea um, from getting hurt from fighting and saying, "This is what I really want to do. This is what I wanted to do as a kid." You know. And what was the first step that you took when you decided, okay, here here I am, I want to start guiding? What was the very first thing that you kind of did to try to get that off the ground? Do you remember? Well, I, I guess the first thing that I did was that once my knee healed, I started to build a network. And I wanted people, I started my Instagram account, mm -hmm. um, but I wanted people to see that I loved fishing and make people want to come fishing with me. So what I did was I started going on road trips to... Uh, fishing tournaments in Louisiana, mm -hmm. all around Florida, and just kind of building that network of friends. And I was, what I was doing is I was posting photos of me, like really nice photos of me with fish, or just I made my photos really about the fish. Mm -hmm. And people started to just kind of, man, man, I would love to go fishing with you. How can I do that? And it, it kind of just started to like, well, another guy would call, and another guy would call. And I was like, well, maybe I could do this um, full time. So what I did is obviously I got the, you know, I did the due diligence and I got my business name. I did all that stuff. No, I think a good thing to point out too is that you wanted people to know that you loved fishing, but you also took a lot of friends and family fishing with you. Right, so right. So it wasn't just look at me on the boat with a fish. And when people started to see you with other people was kind of what snowballed into how can I, how can I come fish with you? And I right. want to have that experience. Right. So people seeing these photos of me with just fish. It, it made them, it made it attractive to them because a lot of people didn't even know where Destin was at as far as my network goes. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to put that disclaimer out there. Like everything that I'm talking about is my experience. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't, they had no idea where Destin was at, where I was at. You know, they just wanted to come fishing with me. So I would take, <laughs> I would, some guys would come in and we would just go fishing on the pier and we catch this redfish or this sheep's head or, or whatnot. Um, and then I would take them on the beach and we'd catch pompano or we'd catch sharks. And it kind of just, started the snowball effect of like, well, maybe I could do this. I'm, I'm already looking for an outlet to get out of the fire department right now. Um, but how can I do this five years from now? How can I quit four years from now um, and still make the money, the amount of money that I'm making with my full-time job and charting was it. So 2000, was it, it's 19 now? So 2018, I finally, everything was started to pick up, pick up, pick up. Um, I was doing one charter here this summer, and then it kind of just got bigger and bigger the next summer, and it came to last year in February where everything I put, I did the finances, and I said, well, this is the amount of money that I'm missing because I'm at work. This is what I made from chartering, and this is what I make with job A, and it equaled out, right? So I made the decision to quit, but I didn't make the decision by myself. Like I said, we do everything. So when, when we talked about it, when I presented to Kaylee the idea of like, man, I really want to quit, babe. You know, I, I don't want to do this fire thing anymore. And it's no shot to any firefighters out there. But for me, I was done with it. I had seen enough. I had uh, been through enough that I was losing sleep over some of the calls that I've been through. I, I was done. Um, I told her the idea and she was like, well, just just quit. Like, 
we'll figure it out. All right. I think that's our motto. We'll yeah, figure it we'll out. Fi- we'll, we'll figure, figure it out, out. You know, and that's kind of how life works. You're just going to figure it out. And I took the leap. But when I told her that she wasn't, the, she was the first person to not say like, well, what about your insurance or what about your pension? Or what about your retirement? And I was like, I really don't care about that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I had been saving. I had, I had a, a savings plan from the time that I joined the military, the time that I got out. Um, I had I had a couple investment properties, so I set myself up right, and that's another uh, one thing that I really want to people to get from this thing is is set yourself up, plan, 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 have a plan, you know. So I just up and quit. Now there's a lot of factors between the time that I quit um, to now that helped me out. Like I was, uh, I think it was 2016 or 17. I was on the show Addictive Fishing. Mm-hmm. That kind of just fell in my lap. That was a really good help push it. Um, so I was getting a lot of phone calls that I was missing to book those trips while I was at the fire department. And uh, once we, once I quit, I don't say once we quit, it kind of just, everything kind of just took off from there. One of the things that as I sit here and kind of listen to you talk, that's interesting is like, I can see how a lot of these factors shape the way that you run your business. Okay. So for instance, the way that you traveled around, you had to learn all these different fishings. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're a well-rounded angler. I Thank see you. you target a lot of different species and be able to put people on a lot of different types of fish. But then even some of the stuff with ultimate fighting that you've mentioned to me about how you pull that into your business, understanding sponsors. Could you just talk a little bit about how some of these elements from your history have shaped you as a fisherman and as a guide? Okay. So, with MMA, my coach always told me, one of the things that always sticks to me, he says, as an MMA guy, you're not going to be great at one thing. You're going to be really, really good at a lot of things. Uh, so I took that and I, I kind of just implemented that to my business. I don't want to separate, I don't want to separate myself and say, hey, I'm just this guy or I'm just this guy. Because then I think it puts me in a box of just having these kind of guys I want to go fishing when the box is, uh, the box is open to anything. So I want to be able to accommodate myself and my skills for everyone, right? And if there's a really, really, really serious guy that says, hey, you know, this is all I want to do, I have the connections to put you in the right hands, you know what I mean? Um, So referring them off to another guy. To another guy, absolutely. If if somebody came to you and said, hey, I really want to catch a sailfish. Right, I can tell you who to go with. Or if I wanted to go deep dropping, if they wanted to go deep dropping and and catch swordfish or something that this is not, as I know a little bit about it, but I can't really do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, then I can refer you them off to that. But what where MMA really helped me is that in the MMA business, you have when you're preparing for a fight, you're preparing for like eight weeks, right? In the beginning of the business, you have a number and a number. My number was two hundred and five hundred, which was my how much I was getting paid for it. Um, the two hundred was just to show up and you made weight. The five hundred was if you won the fight. So a total of $700 for eight weeks of training was, was not a lot of money. Yeah. Do a lot the of, math on the hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like two cents an hour. Um, so where you made your money at was ticket sales and selling yourself. You wanted people to come watch you fight. So you had to go to these network events, sign, sign autographs or, or do these uh, interviews or whatnot. But then sponsorships were huge, right? So I was getting... 200 if I put your logo on my shorts, 400 if I put your logo on my shorts and shirt, 600 to 800 if I put your logo on my shorts, shirt, and my banner that went behind me before the fight started. So I was like, well, this is where I'm going to make my money. And then I got 20% of ticket sales if I sold the tickets. So I was really, I became really good at, because I wasn't going to get paid $700 for one fight. So I was really good at 
going out, meeting businesses, and a lot of businesses told me no, but that never discouraged me. I'm not a no guy. Like, okay, you said no, I'm gonna go on to the next guy, ask him. So I was really good at, one, selling myself to these businesses and asking for a sponsorship, and two, creating relationships with people that they felt that they can come to me and talk to me about fighting and they can talk to me about this and all this. And they wanted to come see me fight because now they had a personal relationship with me. Mm. You know what I mean? I made myself really open as a fighter um, to let people get people attached to me. And so that's, that's kind of what I did for my business, you know, networking, right, right. Networking is huge. Um, In the wintertime I go, I won't even get to that. We'll get to that later. But that networking aspect is, is really huge and building those relationships over time. Cause you like for me, if I just say, you know what, Hunter, come come watch me fight. You're gonna be like, why? I don't I don't know you or anything like that. You know, like I want you to understand. Like now, if I if we had a relationship and I say, man, I'm getting ready for the fight, I'd really appreciate you came. I think you support me on that road. Yeah, and so that's I definitely I, would come watch you fight. <laughs> <laughs> Not right now, man. Old, yeah. out of shape. I got a bad knee. That makes right? it even more fun, right? <laughs> but in, I in took, a backyard somewhere. <laughs> you'd probably win right now. No, not um, me. Uh, so I took, and, I, and, and for me, I did a lot of research, and I just kind of sat back, and I just kind of watched how things were. And I had two amazing coaches that taught me, taught me the business of fighting, uh, the business of running the, the gym. But where I made my money at was the sponsorships and the ticket sales, right? Because in $700, one, that was nothing. The promoter is going to get a percentage of that $700, and then your gym gets a percentage of that $700 because, I mean, your team – trains you they help you get ready for it your coaches that's you know because you're not right now i wasn't paying a gym fee um so at the end of the day i was probably getting 400 dollars for my first five fights like that's a lot of work for nothing so how do you make money off of it sponsorships and how how have you pulled that into fishing because i've met with a lot of guides that do pro staff and they have different kind of deals structured like what does it look like for you to to build that out well as a captain Okay, so what I took from fighting is is kind of selling myself and building an experience and a relationship with my clients and anybody with, a, a, how do I say this, anybody that follows me. I try to answer and talk to everybody as possible, but I took me getting sponsorships and I transferred that to me getting pro staff. Because, I mean, when you, get, when you start in the fishing business, you got to buy tackle. Tackle is expensive. You know, you want to buy it one time. You want to buy the right gear that's going to last you a whole year. That's going to last you 500 different people using it. So I took that hustle and I, I reached out to everybody. I built a sponsorship letter. I built videos to send to these guys. And I probably got told no 2,000 times. Mm. But that one time that somebody said yes, I ran with that. I did what they asked me to do as far as promotion and all that stuff. And they gave me 60, 70% off a reel. And then if I bought so many reels... They gave me one free. All that stuff adds up, you know. Um, the ticket sales, I guess, kind of came. That adds in to where if I'm selling a ticket because I'm selling it to you to come watch me fight, well, I want to sell you now to come watch, to come fish with me. And how did I do that? Well, for me, Destin has, I think it's like 300 charter boats. So I was trying to figure out how do I break into this charter boat business Um and stand out and stand out exactly right so i started the instagram account like mm. that's that was my way and in. were you early in on that before i think i think so i think when i when i think 
when I started my my Instagram account, it was right when it was like getting ready to get big, and that Instagram didn't have all these algorithms, so it helped me grow. Um, and I was really kind of how do I say this like humbly? Um, I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> all right. It is. All right. It counts. All right. I, I'm trying to be as modest as possible. Like when I started my Instagram, there wasn't a lot of guys yeah. on social media. That what I noticed about Destin and the fishing business is that. A lot of folks were homegrown, you mm -hmm. know, they're either they had been there their whole lives or their dad had been doing it. So how can I compete with that? Because I can't put that on my website that I grew up here fishing or but I still love the fish. So does that make that does that make you better than me for, per se? Or like I, you should still come mm -hmm. fishing with me. I think, so, you know, um, so Instagram was my way out. Social media was my way to start to build a clientele base. Um, without having to live there my whole life. You know, I didn't have yeah. friends in high school that were telling, you know, man, well, I know a guy that goes fishing here. You should go with him. Or I didn't have business that I was on. Yeah, that network, with. that right. network is huge. Referral network of people you grew up with. And the guy that you went to high school with now Dude, owns a restaurant and he's, absolutely. Yeah, and, absolutely. and that was your space to come in. And it's interesting because I, I think one of the things I appreciate you is uh, when we talk, it's like, you know, you do YouTube and Instagram very well. And Thank that's, you. that's how you've broken into the scene, how you've built your business. But there's other people who, you know, they might choose to build their business a, a different, different way. way. That's fine. Right. You know, but the important thing is like, how do you find your voice in your space, especially when you're in Destin, which is a super competitive market, super competitive. What was the biggest challenge for you coming into a really competitive market with guides? Um, Breaking the mold. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> because you everybody, know. It's a, it was a circle. Just like I think every industry is from established people. And when anybody new comes in, the biggest challenge is just getting getting over the hump and in with those people to where they not only knew you, but respected you as a captain. And that was my biggest thing is that I wanted, my dad always told me, you don't need anybody's approval, but you want every man's respect. So I, mm. I wanted every man's respect at the, at the very least. I, I wanted people to see that. Hey, I'm not just a charter guy coming in here for a year to do it as a write-off or that this is what I really want to do. Is that common there in Destin? Like people just kind of flaring up, flashing oh, the pan guy? Absolutely. Or, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's such an easy way. If you're a state water guide, it's such a, and, and a, and a bay guy, it's such an easy way to start a business because you don't have to invest the $20,000 into a federal permit. You know, like if you invest $20,000 in a federal permit, like you're, you're in it. Mm -hmm. You know, so anybody can go on sunbase.org, sign up for LLC, have a boat and say, hey, this is my charter now by your name and start. Um, well, I would say we like most of there's a lot of part timers or weekend warriors, you know, okay. that have the boat that go out on the weekends. But so it's also it's also letting the rest of his fishing industry know that he, that wasn't him. So while he maybe right. started like that with the fire department. You know, fishing was a passion of his. That was his whole life. He didn't just buy a boat and decide tomorrow that he was going to take people fishing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I've always known that this is kind of what I wanted to do. When kids were out at a, their football game or baseball game, soccer game on Saturdays, I was watching when the first Addictive, addictive Fishing episode came yeah, out, you yeah. know, Roland Martin. That, like, I was, oh, Roland Martin did this. So I kind of, I kind of knew it's crazy so when i when i watched roland martin use this lure 
well, now I'm going to do exactly the same thing that he was doing, but in my way of saying, hey, this is the lure I use. You should come fish with me or try it. And But that's what it helps for the pro yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like you have a network. You have people watching you. You have people that are in tune to what you're doing and what you're using. Use it, you know? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think that, you know, it's very obvious that you have good work ethic and you're dedicated to trying to do everything that you can to build the business and you have a, a plan for where you want to be and how you want to continue to grow that business. And it, it's very evident that it's not just a business for you. It's a passion for right, you. Right, right, right. And that you're willing to work as hard as possible for it. Is that something that you got from your dad? You feel like your work ethic? Yeah, because growing up, I mean, I watched my dad, you know, active duty, active duty Air Force. Um, when I was seven, he had a part-time job delivering pizzas. Uh, at Domino's um, on on his days off when uh, not, I'm sorry not on his days off but when he got off of work he was working on somebody's car working on somebody's air conditioner um, nothing came easy for my dad and I think nothing comes easy for anybody that really wants to accomplish a dream you know what I mean mm -hmm. when you really wants to dream to come true you have to work hard for it there is the one percent of the world where everything is given to them but if you don't have that work ethic as an entrepreneur um, and whatever business you start fishing, clothing, whatever, it's not really going to mm -hmm. work. You have to accept that, Hey, I'm gonna stay up late. I'm gonna get up early and be willing to just do what that guy is not willing to do. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, success is just that it's succeeding at something. Oh yeah. Trying yeah. yeah trying yeah. try and try failure. But the problem, so there's, there's pros and cons with social media is that Social media only shows the good side of it. Now, I wish other people could see the thousand times people told me no mm -hmm. or some of the trials that I've went through with um, trying to get a boat or trying to get the sponsorship or trying to uh, some of my clients, they, you know, they're rough, you know. Yeah. Uh, so all, all those things um, go part of or go with being successful you know yeah. and you're and running it's, it's you're nice. running long hours too like that's one of the things like you're doing some two trips a day three trips a day you're waking up really early in the morning so you know somebody sleeps in they wake up they drink a cup of coffee and they click through instagram and they see these photos of fishing they're like oh that's awesome but right you know, right right at 5 a.m when when you're working on the boat or making sure everything's set up i mean it's, they don't, it's they long don't hours they don't see that. That. and yeah. i try to show that a little bit to to show that hey this is this is how it is um or like I pick up my client at this time and the first thing I show is like we're, we're cruising to spot A or spot B um, just to see that, hey, you know, if, if this is something you're looking to do, like you got to get up early and chase it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and how is the team you talked about? I know you guys are a team together and you work in marketing and social media, videography, which is very convenient uh, for somebody <laughs> like Lionel. Um, but then, you know, I know that you guys are a team, but Lionel, I know you've talked to me too. Like you have a kind of even a broader team than that. How does that factor into what you guys All are right. doing? So our team, let me just kind of go back to that. So she's a genius at the marketing and she does marketing for several restaurants and other companies throughout Florida. Um, where we're great at is that I have this, don't tell me no attitude. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm really, really impatient. Like if I go out to try to make this partnership, I'm like, well, I'm going to knock on your door until you tell me yes. Right. And if you tell me now, I'm going to go I'm find go, somebody right. that's going to tell me Or yes. I'm going to come back to you a hundred times until you tell me yes, because one, I believe in my product and I like your services or, or whatever you have to offer. I think we could really genuinely work good together. On the other hand, hers is like, 
I'm going to build this and I'm going to wait for people to come to me. And I'm just like, I can't wait for that. Like, mm-hmm. That's good yin and yang. Right yeah. There, yeah. So it's, it's a balance. great partnership yeah. because he's always like, why didn't we do this yesterday? Come on. Where's it at? And I'm like, just be patient. It's going to happen. It's going to come. And but I'm like right now, I'm ju- just like when we met right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now. in some ways, you know, we've talked a little bit about like the social media and the online, you know, sometimes that's a little bit of a long game because you it realize is. like it, it it, you're not just going to necessarily build some huge following overnight and you have to be willing to be patient right. and willing to right. engage with somebody and realize that you might engage with them online six, seven, eight times before they actually come and Book fish with you. You, you got to be willing to do that. Right. And that's not for everybody, but it, it, it's very obvious you guys work well together on, on all of that. And I'll say my social media influence comes from a lot of her telling me, well, I should do it like this. Um, And one of her biggest things that she gave me advice is that for anybody out there with a following or that's trying to gain a following, following is that, and that doesn't, it's kind of hesitant about Instagram. It's kind of hesitant about YouTube or Facebook. Um, Look at it this way. Look at it is that you have a mobile commercial for your business 24 seven, right? How, how often are you up late looking at, this or what time do you wake up early to go on the trip and you might get ready to post a photo you know how many other people are up getting ready for work i think there's a huge percentage um i want to say it's like i looked this up last week i want to say it's like 73 percent of americans the first thing they do when they wake up is grab their phone and check their facebook and instagram right yeah so if you use that tool and that power for your for your network people that are watching you to see what you're going to post next after a couple of months, a couple of years, that number is going to grow to more clients for you mm-hmm. because for now a, for essentially free advertising. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And if you look at it, if you build it that way, you know, people are going to get attached to you because mm-hmm. now they want to see you succeed. They want to see what's next. They're going to watch you grow and they're going to watch you I'm like, man, I really want to go fishing with this guy because it seems that my client or his clients are one, they're having fun. And that's the most important factor to my business is that we're having fun. Um, and two, it seems like he's on the water quite a bit. So what is he doing that's right? So if you use that, if you use social media as a power and a tool for your business and not quote unquote social media, mm-hmm. then I think it's a really good tool for you to have because now you're not paying for a Yellow Pages ad, which is 1990s, I'm sorry, or someone to build a commercial for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything about social media, if you want it to work for you, you can build your own content if you're mm-hmm. willing to put in the work for it. You know what I mean? And, and what are the best steps and practices for trying to, if somebody's listening to this and they're going, yeah, I want to do better on that. Like what's the, the best kind of pathway towards that? So I think a lot of people get hung up on social media because they don't think they can put the time into it or the effort into it. And um, studies are showing now that what used to be more curated and, you know, professionally put together feeds, people are now craving authenticity. So because you think you don't know or have the skills to do a bomb commercial that's professionally produced, Mm -hmm. well, the authentic, you know, Mm. selfies on your phone and stuff like that are getting just as much traction, if not more now, because people are craving that in the moment authenticity because Instagram kind of went through this whole transition of, instead of iPhone photos, now we're doing professional photo shoots and loading that onto our feed. But now the authentic stuff is really starting to play a a Mm. part. So I would say don't be afraid to put that stuff out there. It doesn't all have to be professionally curated and stuff. And I I am a huge proponent of your Instagram feed being like a second website. So instead of just showing one part of your business, remember there's everything you would put on your website should also be reflected in your social media. Like 
hitting all aspects of what you do. And that I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people be hesitant to go into it because they just feel like they won't be good enough at it. And, and these are right. guys who are incredible fishermen. I mean, they right. know how to, to, fish. to fish and they're great at working with clients and they're just a little hesitant on the technology side. But what you're saying is really encouraging that people aren't necessarily, it, it's a lot to ask somebody to be a great fisherman, a great guide and a great web designer or mm. photographer. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that people are like even a, a photo that's not the perfect photo, but just real, real mm -hmm. life photo that that's doing just as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I, don't, I don't think, I think a lot of people feel like they have to post in the moment where if you're on a charter or you're fishing out in the water, snapping a few photos here and there or taking a few videos and then waiting until you get off the water at home after dinner to post them is totally fine. Mm -hmm. I think they get overwhelmed thinking I have to take the picture and post it right now and I can't because I'm on the boat and there's another yeah. fit. Like that's, that's the least of your worries. Get the content and yeah. then you can post it any time of day. Are, are there times that are better than others for people to post? Like if you are trying to be strategic, I know that that's, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too, <laughs> oh, no, too it's all right. I don't <laughs> want to get too deep in the, uh, deep in the secrets here or anything. No, I was going to say is that's like the most asked question I get when I'm talking to people about social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a few different takes on this because I run so many Instagram accounts. You can actually, tr I think you can actually train your feed to what time works for you. An example being some of the accounts I run, there's three or four that I post consistently between nine and 11 AM. Mm -hmm. And after a few weeks of that nine to 11 AM became my best time to post, but I was consistently doing it every day. Mm -hmm. So I was getting the engagement at that time. And then Instagram just started realizing that was the best time. So if I would post on that account at 3 PM or 4 PM, the, the content would tank. Okay. And so that's my one take on it. If you really have a time of day that you like to be on there, posting consistently there at that moment over time is going to make that your best time. Um, but in the general scheme of things, I, I say like in the morning, right when people get to work, so seven to nine. Um, and then I like noon while they're on their lunch break or anytime after 5 p.m. when they're home with their kids. I think the biggest thing she said was consistency. Consistency, yeah. consistency I think that's a key word for entrepreneurs, period. Just be consistent. Um, about Instagram, so before I started mine, I went fishing with uh, a guy named Willie Lee out of Melbourne, Florida, or Titusville. Um, and we went fly, he was a fly fishing guide. We went, long story short is that when I, when I fish with people, I, I take notes of what they're doing um, it's successful for him and Willie had a cannon on his on his boat right so when we caught a photo when we caught a fish he would take a nice photo right and I was like well that's that's pretty sweet when am I going to get that back or when am I going to see that and he's like well I'll post it in about a week and I was like a week but he took time to take that photo take the camera out of his thing get it squared take the photo take the photo back home edit it make sure it's clean and then mm -hmm. post it and I thought that was really sweet I was like man, what if I could do this for my clients? Take a really nice photo, teach myself to edit, and then email it to them mm -hmm. or post it on my Instagram so they can see it. And that's what's really, that's just another aspect of customer service that I found that works for me. Yeah. All right. and, and I had a similar experience in Mosquito Lagoon where it was the same thing. Yeah. Part of the package was taking photos and then they sent them in. And um, if somebody, let's, so, you know, you don't have to be a, perfect you know, like no. photographer you don't have no. to be a professional just be consistent you can do it after dinner you don't have to do it on the water with your client because i know i know you have a policy about not being on your phone with right your client. right but well, if let somebody me, let me throw that disclaimer out I, I i'm not on the phone i am on the phone but i'm not i will not take 
a a call from one of my friends that's like I won't take that. The only calls that I will take are from my lady, from my family, because obviously they know if they're calling, I know that it's an emergency. Yeah. Right. Um, now I am on my phone because I want people. A lot of my clients are coming from Instagram, and so mm-hmm. they want to be on, on the story. It. Yeah. So that's the only time I'm on the phone is taking a story because I feel that if you came fishing with me and you're paying five or six hundred dollars, and I'm on the phone talking, like that's that's not that's not cool. You're not paying yeah. that time. Like I want to be totally involved with you, your conversation, um, and us fishing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. That's the only time I, I don't answer. Otherwise that I don't answer the phone or I'm not on my That's phone. a good policy. And I know like you were talking about, okay, I'm going with another guide. I'm studying. I'm trying to, that, we've seen that common theme over and over again. Right. If somebody says that they want to get better at taking photos, what are some, like, what are some tips that you have or maybe any apps that you use to edit photos or just anything that could help? Okay. There? So there's a place it's called creativelive.com. It's an online learning Website. website it teaches you any kind of program you want to learn about you want to learn about sony cameras it has uh 15 30 30 minute to an hour long um chapters it's it's, it's a school it's an online school for multimedia mm-hmm. so whatever you want to learn about when it comes to editing uh photos um videos creativelive.com and this isn't a plug. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not associated. You're not on no, no. <laughs> I'm not associated with them. But for me, it's like the way I've learned. I've always had to teach myself how to do something. So when I would see all these guys posting, and there's some really good guys out there that take a lot of. Uh, and I don't have their permission to say their names, but obviously I studied their their website or their Instagram, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, how how the hell do they do that? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because they're really good photos. Um, so I just started doing research, you know, um, obviously my lady's in the videography world and she helped me with the cameras, but she didn't teach me how to use them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I studied on my own, yeah. right? you know, and she saw plenty of nights where I got frustrated. And I was like, well, babe, can you just make me a note sheet? Cause I, I don't understand what this number makes this blurry and that number makes, mm-hmm. you know, this. And I'm like, man, this is, I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm getting a headache. Um, but it goes back to persistence, persistence. Don't give yeah. up on it. Don't and give then up on it. It's okay too. And that was something that I even talked with Tom Roland about this, but like, you know, you also just have to be okay being an amateur at something mm-hmm. and Failing. like, Failure. if you're, Failure. you know, or, or in weight training, like you just gotta be okay starting somewhere and then just say, okay, I'm looking for progress. You right. know, I'm not going to, the first time I decide, okay, I'm going to take photos now for my clients and well, like, oh, it's, they're not perfect. So I guess I won't do it. It's like, you gotta start somewhere. I think today's day it's hard for anybody to start because there's so many trolls online you know what i mean yeah because you put your photo or your video up in front of everybody that's a very vulnerable state for anybody you know what i mean um how how did you push through that though like how uh, do you like you talk about persistence but like my dad was like yo stop being a bitch yeah (laughs) and you were like okay i'm gonna and then you got it tattooed on your arm yeah yes (laughs) but no um man all right so honestly it all goes back to fighting man you know in fighting, I fought in Biloxi quite a bit, and a lot of the guys that I fought were were from there, right? And then I had two really amazing coaches. Danny and Daniel are a huge part of my life. Uh, just a side note, Danny's like this pit bull. He's not. He's very like, boy, do it right now, get up. And Daniel's more comforting, comforting, and 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 wants to listen to you. But when you've gotten booed in front of 
3,000 people, like stuff like that just doesn't bother you. And then I lost my first a fight. Teenager, a teenager commenting on your video. This video yeah, like, sucks. <laughs> like, all right, man. Well, I like my video over your not video. Great, great. Yeah. You know, and then the most, probably the most embarrassing moment of my life was that my first loss, I, I got the brakes beat out of me. I got the brakes beat out of me in front of my dad. Like, and the fact that it happened in front of my dad, then you have to stand in front of that in the middle of that cage and watch your opponent's hand be raised, like it's a very humbling feeling. So I figured if I can go through that and the, the, the divorce that my parents went through, like your words aren't, aren't going to really bother me. And then I've, I've been through some pretty, um, I've had some people mess, like I've had some people say some pretty messed up things to me or about mm -hmm. me uh, when it comes to race. But I'm just like, well, if I could deal with all that, man, trolls are nothing. You yeah, know? And you chalk it up to a problem with them. Not yeah. With you. And stay yeah. focused on, stay focused on going back to that moment when you're a kid and nothing sneaking mattered. away right. with a bag of bread. A bag and of just, bread. Like you got into this because you love this. And I think that's so easy because it's like, look, like if you're being a fishing guide or you're fishing because you just want the approval of everybody, then it's not going like, to work. No, like, like my dad told me, you like should I said, just start you selling ice cream. You don't need yeah. any, if man's... you want everybody like you just start right. selling ice cream, you know? Well, I don't like yeah. ice cream, man. <laughs> oh, see, no, no, <laughs> you can't even win there. Right, right. But you know, and well, that's, that's, that goes back to like what I said in the beginning, like you don't, you don't need any man's approval, but you want to work hard to get that man's respect. Absolutely. Right? I think you that's, know? I think that's a huge part. Um, Second and, thing, that helps me get through all that is, I mean, I can come home um, and I can talk to my lady about anything. Yeah. About anything. I can vent. The, the problems that I'm not allowed to put on Facebook because of, obviously, you run a business, you don't want to be like that. Yeah. I talk to her about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that, all right, well, we, we talk through it. She says, well, just do this or do this or do that. And I'm like, well, thank you. And we go on to the next day. So... Building that backbone is hard, but you got to understand if you're getting to into the social media world, which I think everybody should, if you have a business, mm -hmm. is you're gonna you're gonna deal with that. Yeah, deal, whether and ladies give the best feedback. Like <laughs> right? when you're in a relationship, <laughs> right? like the other person is always going to give Absolutely. great feedback. It's Absolutely. like constructive, real constructive criticism. Like I'll tell you how it is. You know, man. some 14 year old saying, "Yo, your video sucks." Like that doesn't help you. But like right? somebody saying, "Hey, if you would have taken this photo this way, or if you would have done this," and you know, I think that's a, a great testimony too to like the power of teams. We we'd love to just teams, to transition yeah. into some rapid fire questions. Okay. And, okay. Um, and I, I I know Austin has some pretty good ones too let's do it uh, but one of the ones i wanted to start with was um i know that you're a well-rounded angler you you do a lot of different types of fishing you got the you got the pathfinder with the second ta second tower i on love it. the tower i'm up there all the time yeah and and um i know that you it seems like you target redfish the most okay maybe i is is that right i target redfish a lot but essentially the more the most that i do is actually golf trips um okay because i do a lot of family of a lot of family trips, but what I guess that's the perception it is because one thing I really, really try not to do is focus on quote unquote, the board catch. Like I don't really, yeah. I try not to every now and then you, you will see me like post or do a story of like 15 vermilion snapper and a couple, you know, and some, but those are fish that are dime a dozen. Like they're, back they're at there. the dock, everything's dead. Yeah, that's that's not my that's not my style. Not to you know, if that's what you built your style on, th then that's that's great. But that's I'm speaking on terms of my yeah. Yeah. like my style is not that. Like we're gonna catch some fish, uh, to eat, 
and but I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna i don't want to build that expectation for yeah. me i want to build the expectation of fun we're gonna you know that's great um, yeah that's that's super helpful and then with like targeting the the bull reds i think i texted you a joke earlier this year and was like oh, can yeah, you yeah. guys even catch a slot fish over there because like, <laughs> right. we were catching slot right. fish but well she I was mean, on the boat though that's that's all yeah, her. yeah yeah but like for you like if you're working a school of redfish okay how can you walk us through your approach on how you work a school of redfish and how do you know if if there's too much pressure on that group okay. and you need to move on it's a, it's a really good question so before i got my tower boat i had i had a uh 22 foot skater so i had to be real cautious about finding the fish because i wasn't up on the second station where i could see them from two miles um so i really had the practice of being patient and one first spotting I would always, I wouldn't try to find a single fish at that point because a single fish for me on that boat while I'm running the trolling motor was just out of the question. Like it was going to be a hard catch. So I would try to find a school of like five to 10. Um, and then the first thing when I did find that school, I was just kind of figuring out which way are they moving. Um, and because you have clients on the boat at this point, you got to understand clients aren't going to close compartments really quietly they're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> yeah. step softly definitely right? not in destiny right yeah, no I mean, you can just anywhere take a lot you of go people out, it might be their first time right yeah, right that. so they, they don't understand they don't understand that aspect of it and then the clients that want to do the casting for themselves i'm like well all right so this is what i have to do i have to figure out which way that school is moving kind of account for like redfish are probably going to turn around at some point they only go so far so i would try to just kind of guesstimate how long they were moving for, which direction they were moving, and try to put myself at least 50 to 60 yards in front of that school. So when, but then at the same time, I wasn't using, um, we're sight fishing on the beach, so I, I didn't anchor up. So I would have to account for the wind pushing me away and, have, um, and then have to readjust to get back in front of the school to where they were crossing my path right at the same time so mm -hmm. the customer can get at least at least four or five good shots before I have to go in there and do the casting for them and mm -hmm. get it like that. Um, and so with that, that it taught me really how to be patient and with a tower, it just gave me a really good advantage of like, all right, now I'm up here. I can see him from a mile. Um, I'm going to stay so far away from them, figure out where they're moving and then kind of just, you know, take that same approach of getting, getting myself in position to where that bait is crossing their face uh, at like a 45 or whatnot. But if it doesn't cross at a 45, I still got so on and so forth, you know, 12 o'clock shot, so on all the way on. So they can get multiple shots on them. Yeah. So you just recently got a new boat. Is that something you, you looked for when buying it? <laughs> you want to talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> the tower was his non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Like we wanted to get a boat. Um, originally, like I was looking at a 23 foot and I was like, man, I really like this boat. And she was like, listen, you need to get the 26. Like, it's, you're not going to be happy with the smaller boat. Um, I just didn't want to go through the boat buying process again yeah, in right, two years when he right. decided 23 wasn't big wasn't, enough. Because yeah, right. I, I knew he loved the 26 that he ran last year. So that was going to be the boat. And he now loves it so much. He jokes he's not going to come home. He's going to sleep on it. Right, so. right, right. Um, so the, the, the tower for, for me not just for red fishing, but it's for everything that I do, the way I run my clients um, and try to put them on fish uh, is a necessity. And why I say that is because once I come out the pass, one, one in the tower, if you're not in the tower, you're missing out on an opportunity for your clients to catch fish. And why I mean, what I mean by that is that once I come out of the pass in the summertime, there are 
bonita everywhere. There's sharks everywhere. But sometimes, obviously, I can't see those bonitas from down there. It's hard for me. For me, to, if I'm down on the lower station, I need. I see those fish. Now I got to go up there and make a cast because I can't make a cast for them where I'm at driving the boat. But from mm -hmm. up top, I can. Um, and my philosophy to that is that most of my clients are from up north. Mm -hmm. So catching a bonita is pretty exciting for them. It's exciting for me. Like yeah. it's, it, they go on a long run. You know what I mean? I, like I said, my approach to my business is fun first. And that kind of takes the pressure off of me because there's already two or three fish on the boat. Cool. So once I see them, I'm able to cast to them, get them hooked up, uh, you know, two or three at a time. And we're good. On top of that, I've caught three bonita. If I need the shark fish because it's a rough day, I have plenty of bait. Mm -hmm. So the, the tower is, is pretty, um, how would I say it? It's pretty standard for me. Like I'm yeah. up there quite a bit. Yeah. And, and so you're talking about fun first. Like yeah, that's an important part of it. Number one. Yeah, number one. And I know we talked about this before, but you got a lot of kids coming. You got a lot of first-time anglers or, or less experienced anglers, certainly in the saltwater, you said, Minnesota. Right, right. All these different different states where people are coming through. Well, I mean, just tell us a little bit more about your approach there with fun first and multiple species. and. So I, I really take myself out of the equation and put everything into perspective. And what I mean by that is that a lot of my clientele – is from up north. We said Minnesota, North Dakotas, Kentucky. Um, Ohio. Yeah, Ohio's a big one. Kansas City now because they have a direct flight into Destin. Um, those those Midwest, northern states that are really cold. Now, when I say put in the, everything in perspective and take yourself and put yourself into their shoes, if they do fish, a lot of it is from is recreational and it's from the bank. So you're mm -hmm. catching perch smallmouth and they're not very big you know what i mean even if you're in the boat now you're catching walleye and some guys are the northern pie guys and will put up a big fight or whatnot but for the most part they're folks catching that's either never been or catching perch or something like that so if my first fish to put you on is a bonita regardless of like what you think me and you fish all the time we understand mm. what that fish is and, and it doesn't really for us it's it's a bycatch but for them, man, that thing goes on a run and crazy. It's it's fun, man. I had, a, I have, um, I have some repeats that come with me every year, just to go fishing for Bonita, right? Mm. I love it though, cause it. We talked about that. It's like it's, it, that's what they want to do. That's uh, it, yeah. What point did we get better than Bonita as fishermen? You know, regardless, <laughs> you know, and then that's where, um. It takes a lot of pressure off you as a guide first because it's a pretty easy catch, especially, you know, obviously when there's a thousand of them, you know, over here and then over there. Uh, so the fun first is I, I really put myself in their shoes. I'm like, what's going to fight really hard for them? They can talk about for years to come and they want to come back and catch, you know. So my trips typically start out with me coming out of the past, finding school Bonita, um, getting hooked up to those first and then we'll go on to the wrecks and then typically after that we'll either circle back around to do some shark fishing or we'll do if the water's clear we'll sight fish for redfish mm -hmm. but it's I, I typically book a five-hour trip because that gives me the opportunity to cover everybody's needs and what i mean mm -hmm. by needs is that i have the guys that want to catch some fish that want to eat and i got some guys that want to catch the trophy fish how do you figure out what somebody wants so because i know that for you that was we were talking about fun first but it's like you want to make sure for you it's like 
you and I might not like if I come fish with you, we're probably not going to just spend the day catching bonita. No, no. But it's like, but, <laughs> but the not. thing is, the thing is like, <laughs> it's like, what, how do you figure out what they want to do? Cause that's what you, you as a guide, you, you're concerned about giving your client the best day possible. How do you f- try to figure that out bef- before they even get on the boat? Um, honestly, a lot of it has to do with my Instagram. Uh, they see what I'm catching. So I guess one of the things that I'll tell people is like, when people come fishing with you, they want to catch what you're catching. They want to go see, they want to go do what you're doing. So if they're seeing my clients b- before them catch Bonita, they want to go catch Bonita. They're seeing sharks. They want to go catch sharks. So that's kind of how you filter it out right there. And then the second part of it is that Kaylee, she answers the phone and she kind of filters out for me right there. That's the second process. Yeah. You ask questions and stuff. Yeah, we manage the expectations a lot because he comes home and fills me in on what's biting where. And so if someone calls and, you know, wants to catch a Goliath grouper, I can say, Hey, we don't have those in Destin. You know, like I want to make sure that they're they're there, they're there, but I don't target those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I meant. We don't target those, but I want to make sure by the time they get on the boat that they're not expecting to catch stuff that Mm -hmm. we can't. When you like, when you reference the sailfish, like I'm not going to book him a trip if that's what they want. So I kind of vet that a little bit in our communications prior to booking. Yeah. Managing expectations Mm -hmm. seems to be you know, a super important piece. And then you'd rather always under promise and over deliver. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's, we kind that's, of find out what their ideal trip is. Mm-hmm. And then from there, how possible is that? Do you just ask them some questions mm-hmm. on the phone right, or do you have right. a form online when yeah. they sign up or both, both? Both. I, and we, we push captain's choice a lot because if they're just trying to have fun, which is what we promote, mm-hmm. we let him kind of pick, the fish we're targeting that day based on what's biting now, what's moving through what the last week or two of fishing has been Mm -hmm. like. And that takes, that takes the pressure off people that are flying in or they're on vacation and they don't, they don't know the area. They don't know the fish they want to catch. They just want to catch fish. So for where I'm at and it kind of takes the the pressure off of me of going and get quote unquote a meat trip because from where I'm at, folks are flying in for about six days. Right? So if I go get a buttload of fish, clean them for you, like what's the chances of you really cooking them all? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want any fish to go to waste. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's another thing that we vet. And at the beginning of the trip is I talk to, if it's a group of four, I ask him right when they get on a boat, like, Hey guys, this is what we're doing. This is what we can do. What do, is there anything that you guys would like to do? Um, and then have this desire to catch and believe it or not, a lot of the, quite, a lot of the answers are sharks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I get that. It's Shark Week is one of the biggest Shark things Week on is TV. A, yeah, man, and I love Discovery Channel for promoting Shark Week because sharks are fun to catch. You know, it's a mm-hmm. novelty as far as like, man, you only see these on TV. And like I said, perception, like uh, not perception, but put yourself, put yourself in their shoes of what they can't come down here and fish for redfish every day, trout every day. They can't, they can't do that. So what's something that's on TV a lot mm-hmm. that I'm like, man, I would really love to catch that or like. um Laughs like sight fishing for redfish or we're getting ready to go through a period where there's there's tarpon on the beach there's jacks on the beach you know what I mean? mm-hmm. jack is a really fun fish to oh catch. i love jacks and my Dude. my two and a half year old is obsessed with sharks yeah she has tons you know, of sharks kids. book when she when when we go out and i've been on the boat with with um some clients before and seen people freak out about a shark more than 50 100 or a hundred redfish. You have a school yeah. of a hundred redfish. You and I are going because there the, they are, and they're red, going. Is that a shark? Over yeah, there? And red, I mean, but that's what red, they want. That's redfish aren't on Discovery Channel yeah. per se. There's not a yet. week. Well, actually, for, yeah, yeah. There's not a week. There's not a week there's for redfish red week. Yeah, right. And, there's no redfish week. You know and, what I mean? And what are some other ways in what you do to try to accommodate to people who are kind of like that? I know you like to stop by and show them some dolphin and um, 
so for me, man, I I love the dolphin aspect because when you see them, you see them on on photos or whatnot, you don't realize how big these creatures are and how intelligent they are. Um, so after we've we've met everybody's needs of like catching this, we got some fish in the cooler to eat. We've went and you know targeted. I say targeted because you're gonna look at these fish and they're huge, these redfish, but you're not gonna mm-hmm. always catch them. We've made the the effort too. Um, I think just going to find a pot of dolphins and to just mess with them, like, and play with them is is the end. How I almost end all of my trips because, yeah. like I said, I put myself in their shoes. Like, you're coming from up north where your spring is still full of snow. Uh, you don't get to see stuff like this every day. You know what I mean? Like, you don't. It's it's not something you see every day. So I try to make the trip from the time you get on the boat to the time you get off a great experience for me, you know, mm-hmm. actually the dolphin part is still fun. Is one of my, it's probably still one of my favorite parts of the day because yeah. this, the other day I had, uh, Dylan, his, I don't, um, it was his birthday. And for some reason, I just feel like when you put that energy out there, like the atmosphere knows. it sounds, it probably sound crazy, but I'm a real energy guy. And th- these folks just, these dolphins just knew it was his birthday and they came straight to the boat and they came up, and he would pat the water and all that stuff, and they would come in and out of the water. Mm-hmm. And for that seven-year-old and his mom, it made the day. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It, it probably made their life. Right, right. Yeah, because, people love that, though. And right. they want to put it on their social media and show their friends back at home. And that you makes, didn't have to go to SeaWorld to get that experience. And yeah. the, ability, <laughs> the ability to put yourself in the client's shoes and try to anticipate their needs and manage expectations, that that's great. And um, I know there's a lot of guides who, you know, they – they struggle with that. And I think that that's something, a good practice to have with your business. I think all that practice came from my upbringing as, as far as um, being in the military, traveling so much, I can relate personally. I can relate to a lot of people in different ways. I've yeah. talked to a maybe lot even of being new to something. Cause if right. they're, you know, yeah. Experiences, experiences of what I've yeah. done. I've, I've me going fishing with other folks. It's, 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 I saw what they were doing right. And I've taken it and made it my own brand. Um, and, and, and that's why I tell anybody, anybody young, like, go live life. Go get these experiences mm-hmm. that when you get to this point in your business and point in your life, you can relate to a majority of the people except instead of being in this one lane that you can only talk to. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's a good segue to my next question. Um, and this is either in fishing or in, in your, uh, your career path. But what's something you're currently curious about and trying to learn? Uh, what do you say is next? video and editing yeah i really i really youtube is is the next thing for me is because growing up watching roland martin um blair wiggins all these guys have their own tv show i would love to have my own tv show one day but the way the 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 way it is today is i don't necessarily have to have a network Mm -hmm. to produce um my own TV show. YouTube yeah. is amazing. And it's not, so you're going trying anywhere. to learn that yourself. Yeah. And I think that it goes back to the creative live that you talked about. He's in the off season at the computer for six, eight hours a day, learning step by step and practicing and teaching. And I think that's part of the business ownership that people don't talk about, but mm-hmm. he's putting in all the hours and I know he hates to stay inside, but he, that is how driven he is to learn how to do this professionally. So right. yeah, your laptop, go sit outside. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's nice outside, I'm trying to go fishing. That's so, a good point. Right? Yeah. That's, right. it's hard to do. It's hard for it's, me to do anything for six hours with a screen, but, but you know. I'm teaching myself every day because I want to be able to produce my own content. I want to be able mm-hmm. to have control of my own content. Um, and eventually I'm going to have, a. we're, we're, we're I, I could say that we're, 
we're close to sealing a deal. We're we're about to have a scissor reel um, recorded, edited, and done, and then presented to several networks mm-hmm. um, to see and to see how that goes. We're we're right there, um, but still, YouTube is for me is is the best way to go about things. Um, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I'm getting ready to start a nonprofit. Um, so it's a lot of couple of things. Well, you know? What's the what's the nonprofit going to be? All right, so I grew up. And I wouldn't say poor, but I wouldn't say wealthy, you know. Um, and for kids that haven't had the opportunity to go fishing or mm-hmm. uh, my father played a huge role in my life. Very, very big role. So father and son trips are very significant for me, significant for me. Um, so my nonprofit is going to be based around kids that maybe in like the inner city mm-hmm. have never been fishing have never had that experience but if if they gone before me or before they before me and want to get more into it how do they go about it because this industry is is can be very one-sided and it could be very like um what's the word closed closed you know it could be very hard to step into this industry if you're not on the water every day yeah, growing I, up. And you know what I mean? You like, I'm trying to say this someone that, yeah, exclusive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I know that. Right. I've, I've seen that a lot and I've seen a lot of people struggle too, just the the learning curve. Like when you grow right. up in it, like like I, I grew up in it and it's like there's just hours and hours and hours and hours of my dad it. teaching me little things and then you have somebody who's 19, 20 or whatever. Maybe they're right, 40, whatever, they, whatever. Well, it doesn't matter, but like they don't know as much. It can be really intimidating to get to in, get you know, started, and what do you buy? And I think that's a really cool idea to take kids who wouldn't normally get that experience, take them out and show show them them that you don't have to be an athlete to go make a good living. Mm -hmm. Um, second thing is I am a vet, so we're going to, you know, we're going to focus on vets struggling with life after the military Mm -hmm. PTSD. Um, and the last thing is, is that I will say the last thing, but I do want to tell a story is about four years ago. I took a young man named trip out fishing Mm -hmm. trip has down syndrome. We, before I met Trip, I had a real struggle with being around persons with special needs. I didn't know how mm-hmm. to treat them. I didn't know how to talk to them. I felt very uncomfortable around I'm them. Intimidated by right, it. right, because yeah. you don't you don't really know what to say. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, but when Trip got on the boat, man, I, all I could all I could pray for was that, man. I hope we catch some fish, and I hope we catch some fish. I hope he has a good day. Um, but of course, it was in the middle of August. It was hot. We had an afternoon trip. We didn't catch anything. But Trip. From the time he got on the boat, he stood by my side and we laughed and we talked and we joked all day. Mm. And that was really the icebreaker for me. Because at the time I was struggling to figure out what I want to help people flat out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take away this fishing business, you can have it as long as I'm able to help people. Um, and Trip opened my eyes to what it means to talk to somebody and be around somebody with Down syndrome. Right? What, how people treat how people look at them at the end of the day, mm-hmm. how people are really uncomfortable with having that conversation because they don't, they don't know, like yeah. you're not educated to, you're not around that to that all the time. So a lot of, so once I met Tripp, he opened my eyes to a lot. So I got involved with an organization called, organization called the ARC. And we started to work together last year and every first Thursday of the month, every third Thursday, right? Every third Thursday of the month, we would take three individuals from their organization and they all had Down syndrome. And we would take them fishing. Wow. And we would catch catfish all day. Here's the catfish reference again. Mm, yeah, back to the catfish, being right? a kid, yeah. Being a kid. 
and we would sit in the harbor and we would catch catfish after catfish after catfish. Now, mind you, all these other guys that have been in the business for years come in and out of the harbor. Mm -hmm. And they would just stare at me like I got some of the ugliest looks you could think mm -hmm. of. And I'm like, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Because a person with Down syndrome, one, they're very unfiltered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right? yeah. They'll say how it is. But to see their face light up. But they're genuine. Too. Genuine. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. That's what I mean by unfiltered. It's like to see their face light up from catching a catfish reminds me every day of my first catfish with my dad. Mm. So I've partnered with that organization and that's what my foundation is going to be based around is that if I can't, if I'm going to try to make some kind of change to show, Hey, these persons are part of society, mm -hmm. you know, they've grown up a little different. They have a few challenges, but they're no different from you and I. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I'm going next with that. You know and, what I mean? and, and I like the inner city thing too, because there we've talked about this there's not a ton of people who are black who are guiding. you're right you're and, right you're right you know and truthfully just i mean just in fishing in general and trying to open up fishing to where people despite their background or their ethnicity have an opportunity to go out there on that water and enjoy it right how, how does that kind of factor into what you're doing as well uh i'll tell you man last year was one of my probably one of my trying most trying years as, as an adult um, because I had just quit my job and I took a position with a company named Ship Chandler. And when that happened, I had a lot of people just question, well, why would he do something like that? First, I did it because I wanted the experience. I knew I was going to get the opportunity to, to, to try to do 300 trips and see if like I can, I can mm -hmm. cut it. You know what I mean? Um, and during that time I had, to, I don't, I, for, from, how do I say this? When I get out on the water, I don't turn my radio on. It's probably pretty dangerous, but I mean, I'm not too far out or I'm not that far away from the radio, my VHS, mm -hmm. to uh, to um, send out send out a, a signal. And plus, I carry the safety things that if you pull the button, it, it's, it transmits that signal. GPS. Yeah. So, but last year I had a moment where I didn't have my radio on, but when I got back to the, I, got, I went to the marina and people were like, man, that was really messed up what so-and-so said. Uh, and it started, it's, more people started saying that. So more people started to text me. And then when I got back to my dock, the owner of the dock came out and was like, we had a conversation. And he said, man, that was really messed up. You know, there's no place for that. And for him to say that to me, I was like, well, well, damn, what did this dude say? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know, but it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and that's just kind of one of the issues that I've had to deal with being just said some racist things. Yeah. On the radio yeah. Yeah. To yeah. Everybody. You know what I mean? And, um, but it's one of the things you have to deal with, but I've never in my career, whether it been a firefighter or a fighter or a fishing guy, that I've ever used the, the, the black card because at the end of the day, there are people that aren't going to like me because I'm black. There's going to be people mm -hmm. that don't like you because you're white and so on and so forth. And those people, I just don't have the energy to for. I, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, when I get home, my lady's good. She's taken care of. My family, my dad's good. Mm -hmm. uh, my sister's good. And if anything that happened to my sister, I was financially able to take care of her kids. Mm -hmm. and so that, for yeah. you, you get back to the dock and you hear that something was said. You just, you try as hard as you can just to not even feed into it at yeah, all. Yeah, I go talk to my lady. Like, yeah. you know, so you it, didn't even, no, no response. I mean, no that's, response. What am I going to, what am I, at the end of the day, what am I going to do? I have, mm -hmm. well, you have a lot to lose, but like, if you're still in this place where that's, you have to take shots like that and words like mm -hmm. and at me, that point you're, you're letting it affect your business. Too. Right. Right. You, you're letting another you, man affect you pay, your emotions. Yeah. Right. So I mean, at, if, if this was old school and I went and confronted him, 
you know, with cameras everywhere, like, mm-hmm. the, what am I going to do? Like, yeah, I'm going to beat you up. Try to be the bigger man. Right. And, yeah. Like, yeah. You try know, to take the high me, road and I, try, I, I and try not to. to. Trust me. Like, yeah. you know. And I know that with like jujitsu, they talk about too, like when somebody's confronting you or trying to start a fight with you, like that person's not even worthy of your energy. No. Like and, that person's and, not even, it's. And you know, it, come, it comes from all the experiences. Like, I, I'll be honest with you. When I was uh, in Panama City or, you know, in my early 20s, I was that, I was really hot headed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, obviously, I knew a few things where I could about fighting yeah Yeah, you know so i you know but now it's just like man if i go do this to this guy or or confront this guy there's a lot of different ways it can go if somebody records me in a face-to-face confrontation with this guy you know you can manipulate Mm -hmm. that to where it gets bad and now yeah well now you're a businessman right (laughs) Right. everything you've worked for you know so i just like you know it's and a lot of that comes from my dad because i saw my dad go through so many struggles raising um two kids by himself let alone going to the store with my sister mm-hmm. you know like people people are messed up man so there's plenty of times where i've had i can see my dad just broke down uh, mm-hmm. because he took my sister to the store and people asked him like is that your daughter or what are you doing with that girl mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it, it, was, it was it was messed up stuff and to see my dad it's, overcome your that, dad's white my dad's black. My dad's, oh, black. dad's my, black. My my uh uh my my mom's Filipino, but okay. the perception of it is like that wasn't his daughter. Okay, you know what so I mean. She didn't physically look like look his like daughter. my dad. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. So it's fine seeing my dad deal with that and not it it just taught me like to just and if yeah. if if I need to have a conversation with my dad that me and Kaylee can't have or I feel like that's where I go to. You know what yeah. I mean. Do you feel like it's getting better though? I mean, uh, I know that you know some some other guys who are black. Do you feel like it's getting better? Does it not feel that way right now? I, I mean, mean honestly, I I don't even pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. So if 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 you have a problem with me because I'm I'm guiding or this guy's doing this because of the color of their skin, then whatever. Yeah. You don't That's want your business problem. anyway. Yeah. And you're it, it, you're yeah, not in the business. Not, yeah, you're not in the business of trying to change everybody's no, mind out in the no. world. No, no. The only thing yeah. that I'm trying to change people's mind about is perception about person with down syndrome and come on mm-hmm. my boat and let's go have some fun. That's awesome. Because I went, I've, I've had people, I'll tell you one story is that last year I had a young man book the trip. Um, and I don't think his dad looked at the website. Matter of fact, I know he didn't look at the website. Um, <laughs> so when his dad got on the boat, I went to shake his hand. He didn't shake my hand. Wow. I was like, all right, man, this is going to be a really long trip. So for four hours, this guy would not talk to me. I tried to engage with him cause you know, questions that you had to wow. answer. And he wouldn't do it. And I'm like, well, okay, I, I, I get what's going on here. That's fine. They caught some fish. You know, I just move on to it. I vent to my lady and then go on about my business, man. The, the, the world is still ugly no matter how you put it. It's who you choose to put one around you and what you choose to give your energy to. That's good. Like, and if you give your energy to negative people, you're going to have a negative outcome. Mm-hmm. If you manifest positive energy... You know, positive outcome. You know what I mean? And I love what you're doing here because you have your friends involved. And that's mm-hmm. what I have involved around me, you know? One, my lady first, and then my friends second. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That No, that's, that's, that's very helpful. And I think no matter, you know, everybody experiences some form of adversity. And we were joking earlier, but, you know, there's... You can't please everybody. You can't. You know? And you're you can't. every, but you you can decide what you're going to give your focus and energy to. Right. And you can decide what you're going to respond right. to. And, right. You know. I mean, you just look at the way... Like there, let's just, I'm going to be totally honest about it. There's, 
there's black folks that support black owned businesses. There's white folks that support white owned businesses. And I, I wish it wasn't so prevalent. Like people, I'm going to go support a black owned, just support a mm-hmm. good business. Um, mm-hmm. There's people that don't like you're it. Not, you're, you're not trying to, that's when out of everything that you're trying to market, you're trying to market fun first. You're not exactly. trying to say, hey, come fish me because exactly. I'm black. You're trying to say, hey, come fish me because you're going to have fun. We're going to catch fish. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at my photos, it's, you can see it for itself. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, so um, that's a, that's a portion of the business that I just choose to kind of ignore. Mm-hmm. You know and, what I mean? and speaking of that, what, what for you is kind of the, the future of, of your guide business that you're trying to build out right now? You said you're trying to do the YouTube videos. Yeah. What does success look like five years or 10 years from now? You're looking back. What does success look like for you? Um, what do you want to be remembered for? Really, I want to be remembered for one helping. Like I'm really involved. Or I'm getting more and more involved every day in the CCA, and a lot of people are misunderstood about what the CCA is doing. Yeah, could you explain what the CCA is? Coastal Conservation Association is they help the recreational angler anglers' rights, all right, and then they help. In, in short, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that CCA does, but they help restock Florida. So CCA has a great program called Adopt a Snook, which is running down um, in South Southwest Florida, and they also just restocked about ten thousand redfish in in certain parts of Central Florida. So I think overall in the last six months they've done about thirty thousand redfish. Um, what I'm trying to to do is bring the Adopt a Snook, but make it Adopt a Redfish and raise a certain amount of money to mm-hmm. restock my area of fishing, mm-hmm. you know? So when I'm, when I'm done with this fishing, they, they are going to say, well, he did a lot for Florida and he did a lot for mm-hmm. people. I can care less if they, if there's a world record that I catch, I can care less. They say he was the greatest redfish guy, tarpon guy, whatever. He, he did a lot for humanity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and did a lot for Florida. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. And if people want to follow you and, and keep up with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, obviously, Instagram is where I make a lot of, and that's just under my business name, Lion's Tail Adventures. Uh, together, like I said, my lady is is right there with me. We have our own um, our own page, Anglers in Paradise. Um, YouTube, Lion's Tail Adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the website is lionstailadventures.com. But I tell everybody, like, I'm very... Like, follow me on Instagram, send me a message, you have a question, but the problem with Instagram is that people want quick responses and I don't mm-hmm. respond right away, like, but I will respond, because yeah. I, want, I want to talk to you, I want to get your insight. Yeah, it's hard to do that when you're on the water for 18 hours a day. <laughs> and, and then you're you, trying to go to dinner, you right, know, and right, you're trying you mean, to and then be sleep, present. And yeah, then get up sure, and do sure. it again. But there's so. different ways, and, and just like, I hope this is uh, an experience for all of us, like, I, I really appreciate you having us here, but mm-hmm. for us... It was a, a three hour drive that we got to spend quality time together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, I appreciate you coming out absolutely. And, and being a part of this and encouraging us at the beginning. And, you know, we're just trying to have fun, trying to learn, trying oh, this to. This is dope. Yeah. This is dope. Is, is there anything as we close out that you want to say or add? Uh, is there anything else you guys want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was yeah. great. I mean, um, I mean, I had this prepared in my head a while ago. Um, I just tell anybody out there that's that's hesitant about starting. If you have any questions, contact me. Like, let's talk about it. Uh, two, don't be afraid. What yeah. you manifest is what you get. So starting a business, start or guiding. Either or. Yeah. Either or. Um, I'm all like, there's a lot of guys that won't help other guys start a business, but I I will. Like, if you need help, like, I'll help you. 
You know what I mean? Because I, I don't believe um, Kevin Hart is one of my biggest role models. I, I watch his videos. I believe in the teamwork makes the dream work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're selfish and I understand that people have their own teams and I can only give you so much information. But to get started, I remember when I was asking a thousand questions to people mm-hmm. and they wouldn't answer me. So I try to answer as much as I can and help as many, many people as I can. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I appreciate it. And I appreciate that spirit of just let's have fun. Let's build great businesses. Let's have great people around us and, you know, put our energy in the right place. So thanks so much for hanging out with us today and giving us a little bit of that energy. Thanks for the both of you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. If you're enjoying this podcast and willing to help us out, please take a moment to share this on social media, maybe text some friends, or possibly give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. All your support goes a long way. Thank you guys again for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.